There's something beautiful about the emotion we call love. I'm on a mission to find out more about how it affects every being. It all starts with perception. What if our perception of the world and its many inhabitants expanded? Every person has a different vantage point. When we truly know a soul, we find knowledge. Asking questions with an open mind is how we learn how to relate to one another. When we identify with someone beyond the surface level, we fear less and love more. We're all teachers. Every person on this planet has something impactful to share. This podcast is about expanding my vision and illuminating the threads that bind us together as a community. Simply put, this podcast is about the lessons in love I learn along the way in my journey of finding my true self. Welcome to Unified Threads. Schroeds, and I'm committed to the power of love. When I was 15, I started my journey in Oklahoma City by accepting a job at Central Park Dog Daycare. That choice opened up the doors that have led me to where I am today. Thank you, April, from Central Park Dog Daycare, for always having faith in me and sponsoring the first three episodes of this podcast. You inspire me to continually stay strong and always look for the best in others. The leap of faith you took hiring me at such a young age was the catalyst for every event that led up to the creation of this project. I know I'll never be able to fully express how much it means that you took me in under your wing like you did. I only hope that you know that from the heart... I will always be eternally grateful. Central Park Dog Daycare is where I met my young adult mentor, Christy. Christy was a client at this dog daycare and told me that one day she wanted me to come and work for her. I saw Christy again when I was 18. I was working as an ad sales assistant at an independent newspaper, and she came in for an interview about the horrific puppy mill industry on behalf of the organization that she had recently started up. That organization was the Central Oklahoma Humane Society. Now, I knew that she was working on getting this organization started and had told me when I was 16 that that's where she'd like me to come and join the team of someday. Now, in my mind, I thought that meant that I was going to have to work in a vet clinic setting. And that was really not something that I wanted to do. I'd already decided at a young age that being a veterinarian was simply not for me. I don't think I could handle having to put animals down and make that decision with their owners on if it's time to let them go or not. Also, as I've gotten older, I realize that that's truly not what my calling is in life. You are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. 
was sent to me by Dr. Renko Pinter this morning. It was on a block of wood that his daughter gave him for Christmas. And it resonated a lot for me. I wanted to share it because I truly do believe that we are all brave, courageous souls. We are stronger than we may seem physically. And we're all smarter than we think we are. Thanks for listening. Christy quickly became a key influencer in my life. Thank you, Christy, for always believing in me, for supporting my personal journey, and teaching me that I'm able to figure out anything that I think I am. You've been a fabulous mentor, and you taking me in under your wing in the way that you did means more to me than I can describe. I can only hope that by sharing how much you helped me truly build the foundation that has created this opportunity to travel around the world will inspire others to take more people in under their wing, to believe in them, to take a chance on them, to teach them what they can, and to empower them to be the best person that they can be. So Christy saw me at the independent newspaper, it's called the Oklahoma Gazette, and asked if I remembered her, and of course I did, and she remembered me, and said she was serious about what she told me two years ago. She said, why don't you check it out and see if we have any jobs that you might be interested in. Right after she left, I hopped on MySpace that afternoon. This is back in the day when Facebook was only open to college kids, so MySpace was where it was at. And on the Central Oklahoma Humane Society's MySpace page, I saw a blog about a volunteer coordinator slash development assistant job that they were hiring for. Now, I didn't have any volunteer coordination experience. However, I've always been good with people, and this seemed like the golden ticket to get my foot in the door in a non-clitic setting. I filled out the application online, went through two rounds of interviews, and next thing you know, I was working out of a closet at a startup nonprofit learning the ropes at a very rapid pace and picking up more responsibilities every single day. I had the most fun times at the organization in our startup days. When I first started, I thought, what have I done? I was working at an independent newspaper where I was getting free tickets to pretty much anything in town. I was getting to go with some pretty connected people all to the different events, and which is an 18 year old's dream. Couldn't ask for anything more at that age. What I grew to realize very quickly was that I was learning an invaluable amount of skills that I really couldn't have paid for to learn, even in college. And I met so many amazing friends. Many of these friends are the ones that are making this podcast possible. If I were to be given the chance to go back, I wouldn't have chosen another path for anything in the world. You're braver than you believe, stronger, than you seem, and smarter than you think. Fast forward seven and a half years later, five locations opened, millions of dollars raised, tens of thousands of dogs and cats served through adoption and spay-neuter events, and a new president of the Central Oklahoma Humane Society later, I was really burnt out. The this is it turning point for me was following the 2013 Moore tornado. Now, this 
tornado response was one that I will never forget. And I will always have gratitude that I was able to participate and be a part of this. It was so incredible to see how many donations were pouring into the Oklahoma City metro community following the May 20th tornado that destroyed two different elementary schools and left hundreds of people displaced. Literally, there were pallets of all different kinds of supplies showing up at the adoption center front doors. And I was almost every hour leading a semi-truck over to a warehouse that we had reserved to unload these donations. We also more than doubled our donor database in that time frame. And that was just a 10-day response time frame that everything was more than doubled. This experience showed me so much about how many people are out there that truly want to help. They're looking for someone to ask in a way that they feel like their help is really going to make a difference. That seems to be something that the disaster trigger button brings out in people. And a thought that I haven't been able to shake ever since is while people are still without healthy food and clean water to thrive on, is not every day a disaster in our world? No matter where you live, whether it's the United States, all of the other countries in this beautiful planet, there are always people that need our help. And it made me start thinking, how can we activate that trigger button on an everyday level? And it was just really not something I could shake. Then I realized I won't be able to help anyone if I don't help myself first. kick off this podcast with a homage to where I first saw the power of love in action. I learned so much about love and people that want to help and collaboration living in Oklahoma City. This leads me to introducing my very first podcast teacher, Ferris O'Brien. He's the owner and president of the Spy FM, one of OKC's most magical independent radio stations. Ferris and I met in 2011 during a mega adoption event promo interview for an event called Midnight Wolfness. We bonded over our mutual love for big dogs. His Malamute named Mo is amazing. And he also has a dog named Rue that he rescued from the streets. Ferris is amazing about collaborating whenever and however he can. And like many of the core people in Oklahoma City, he likes to think like there is no box and how can we work together for the greater good? He's all about finding a dedicated audience, which is exactly the type of audience that has made this podcast possible. It wasn't for my friends and family that were interested in my travels and believed in having faith and trusting in the universe to teach me the lessons that I'm supposed to learn on this journey. This wouldn't be possible. So I'd like to let Ferris share his thoughts on why it's more important to have less than more. So here we go. Ferris O'Brien, everyone. And, uh, it, you know, I, I think a lot of those, a lot of those myths about Oklahoma City uh, were, were pretty prevalent through the 2000s. That whole uh, Tulsa's, you know, white collar and Oklahoma City's blue collar um, kind of uh, talk that was there, like Tulsa will support this Oklahoma city won't, you know, kind of thing. I think all, all of that, um, 
starting somewhere in in the early two thousands, I think is when it, that really that perception really started to change. Um, I don't think it exists anymore. You know, some fifteen years later, but uh, but back in ninety seven, you know, downtown was a very dark place. <laughs> Um, when I first moved back here, um, I didn't know really a whole lot about Oklahoma city. My experience was in Norman, um, when I was uh, in college at OU. Um, so I first got, uh, got an apartment in Norman cause I knew Norman and then I commuted up, up here to work at, uh, night, uh, the then alternative station that clear channel started, uh, 95 X. Um, and uh, I, I did that for a while and eventually moved to the Deep Deuce Apartments um, uh, that were one of the first <laughs> developments <laughs> down here. And it was, it was scary. I mean, it was, uh, um, you know, rats the size of dachshunds that were, would run up and down the, the hallways. Um, it was just, it was just a much different place. Um, it was a lot of... Uh, I, I, I don't I don't know if I would would have advised many people to just go walking around downtown at night, um, especially in the wee hours. Um, There's a lot of movement, a lot of things going on, um, and uh, but now um, I mean it, it's it, I mean it's it's, it's amazing to just to, to know or to remember what it, what it was like and what it is now and all this development that's happening down here. Um, and how I, I think, you know, anyone can go out at three o'clock in the morning and, wa- and walk the streets of downtown and be completely safe. Um, and, uh, just the, how it's changed from like a, a cleanliness, uh, standpoint. Um, I remember, you know, there being trash and stuff on the, on the streets or in the gutters or, or whatnot. And it's not like that anymore. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely changed. Um, and as far as the development, I mean, there were really weren't people living down here, um, outside of the couple of high rise apartments in downtown that had been there forever. And then the new deep deuce apartments that opened. Um, and then, you know, that compared to now where it seems like every time you turn around, there's a new development like popping up and it's, uh, urban dwelling. Um, and I think that's kind of a, a trend that's going on everywhere. Um, I know in Dallas, um, you know, Deep Ellum was kind of the same way. You know, when I was in high school, um, Deep Ellum was a place that you, you know, literally would would risk your livelihood um, to go to a show down there. But that's where all the shows were. Um, that's where the cool clubs were. Um, that's where... 16 and 17 year olds could get into 21 and up clubs, you know? Um, but you know, making it back out to your car, you know, you were going to run into a band of skinheads or, um, you know, worse gang members. Um, it was, it was bad. And and there were little dark alleyways and dark things and you could find yourself in trouble before you knew it. Um, and slowly but surely that changed. Um, it even went, it's even kind of run the gamut. I mean, it, it kind of went from out of that to a place where it was safe to go. And there were lots of things going on and people from out of town were coming in and then it kind of got over commercialized. Um, and there were, you know, uh, 
big name things popping up down there and lots of things. And it kind of uh, lost its sheen because other little places like that were popping up in Dallas. Um, and then it kind of swung back to the dark side. Um, and now it's back on an upswing again. Um, so, I mean, you know, there's, there's all the, all those kind of things. And I think one of the, one of the things, at least in the past 15 years here in Oklahoma city, um, you know, we've always been a top 50 media market or in, you know, in the, in the late nineties, when I came back, we were, we were market 52. So we weren't quite there, but it was, uh, very quickly after that we were market 48 and now I think we're like market 41. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's big time. I mean, uh, and, but with that, you know, little city, you get big problems or when your city starts to change and starts to go through these things, those, those growing pains, so to speak. Um, I think you start getting some of those big city issues and big city problems too. Um, but you know, I mean, I think the way that this city has, has the, the grassroots and the kind of thing that we've, that we've, you know, if you succeed, I succeed. And if we succeed, then we can help them succeed kind of thing. Um, that I think is very prevalent here. That's not the case in places like Dallas or San Diego, um, or Austin even. Um, I think that's the advantage where we maybe find our way, um, when we're, when the, the scene is actually developing around us at this very moment. Um, whereas a lot of places, Portland, Austin, you know, whatever, it's already there and it's been there. So if you go there, you're just becoming a part of it here. You're kind of a part of developing it. Um, and it's only going to get better. I mean, with the, the two, the two mid-sized venues that are going to open within the next year, um, that's going to be huge. Um, people that have lived here their entire lives or people that have moved here in the, you know, in the past 10, 15 years, um, they're not going to know what to do with themselves when there's, you know, four quality concerts a week that they can go to. Um, people are going to lose their minds. And, and that, that in and of itself is going to change. A whole, it's going to open a whole new perspective. It's going to kick open a whole new door. Um, and I think that the, the path that both of the venues are, are, are striving for is kind of the same thing that, that, that spy tries to do. It tries to fill that void of that perceived coolness of that music scene. So, um, and it's kind of a, a synergy that kind of helps everyone. And, um, we've talked with them uh, several times and I'm, I'm really excited. I can't wait till criterion opens and when tower theater opens, it's going to be two, um, completely different venues. Um, but they're going to be doing the same thing. So, I mean, it's not like all of a sudden you're going to get, um, you know, just another, uh, a place that opens, that has seats, that has concerts. Um, that's, that's going to be bringing in the same stuff that's always come through here. No, it's going to be completely different. I mean, these people that play Dallas and Kansas city will be playing here. So, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy to, to think about when, when that actually happens. And, and, um, <clears throat> I've lived in Austin. Um, I grew up in Dallas. I, or I grew up in LA as a kid, kid, and as a teenager in Dallas. Um, I've lived in San Diego. So, I mean, I've been in these 
cities that have a vibrant scene and a vibrant live music scene. And it's amazing how different that makes the city and that what, what a different level, a different vibe that it sends out. Um, and that's, that's going to happen here. <clears throat> and the size of the city, I think is beneficial as well. It's, it's big enough to support it. Um, and I think the people get it. And I think they've been starved for it for so long um, that, you know, there's not going to be any more uh, three o'clock trying to get home from Kane's ballroom uh, on that, on the, that highway to hell, <laughs> you know, back here where there's literally nothing um, or, or, or the, you know, the same thing coming back from trees in Dallas um, and then still trying to make, make it to your job <laughs> the next day. <laughs> yeah. I've driven the route to and from Dallas many times for concerts and you're like trying to keep your eyes open. Everybody has to work at 8.30 the next day. We're just trying to make it back. I've been there. <laughs> and, and, and that Dallas drive is twice as long as Tulsa, but I don't know. I don't know what it is about that Tulsa drive, but man, coming back from a show is it's brutal. It's one of the long, the longest, smallest stretches of dark highway. The Tulsa drive. Yes. Oh, yeah. On the planet. Oh my gosh. I have so many memories of D fest driving back and forth from D fest on that highway. All the other shows too. D fest really sticks out in my memory. Yeah. It's just, I mean, just, it's just anything that goes late and you're trying to, you, and you have to come back for, you know, something the next day, i.e. work. Um, it's, it's, it's brutal and no more of that. Now I've been for the last five years chasing people. I was always volunteering anywhere I could, always helping my friends whenever possible. But at the end of the day, I really wasn't in a great place mentally. I wasn't that happy. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was eating healthy, but I wasn't really doing a whole lot of other steps. I wasn't taking a whole lot of other steps, I mean to say, to take care of what was going on in my heart. So that's when I decided I need to take a journey to expand my perspective and really focus on healing myself. Instead of looking for other people that want to take care of Amy, I need to be taking care of Amy. So that's why we're here. Thanks for listening to this journey. There's going to be times where it's going to get, get pretty raw and real. And then there'll be times where the lessons that I'm learning may not be as interesting to you. I didn't go to college. So as I travel the world, I'm going to be learning about all different facets of history, finance, economics, really as much as I can get my hands on, because I figure what better way to learn than hands-on in the school of life. I'm also doing a lot of soul searching. I'm trying to figure out what is the purpose of life on this planet and how can we help restore this planet back to the original goodness that I think that we all know it once had. Welcome to Unified Threads.
I'd like to share a quote in honor of Shannon P. Today, me will live in the moment. Unless it's unpleasant, in which case, me will eat a cookie. From the Cookie Monster. I know my impersonation of the Cookie Monster wasn't the best. But Shannon, I want you to know that I think of your chocolate chip cookies often. I miss the times that we had at meetings over your Rice Krispie treats that were shaped in the shape of hearts. And I often think if I only had some Skittles at the bottom of this cup. The next person I wanted to feature on this episode about OKC, the love springboard, is Shannon Presty. She's the director of teen leadership initiatives at YMCA of Greater Oklahoma. She's also one of the most inspiring women, in my opinion, that you'll ever meet. She's always willing to help when and wherever and brings the sweets to every single meeting that she goes to. She fostered dogs and volunteered at the Central Oklahoma Humane Society, which is where we met. She came in for a volunteer interview and then soon after got involved in various different ways. Her main jam, if you will, is hosting house guests, as her husband Sam calls it, which are little dogs that stay at her house and learn all of the lovely manners that they need in order to go on to be adopted by their next loving family. Shannon is going to share her thoughts on Oklahoma City and advice for young people who want to help the greater good. She's been an amazing teacher for me in a lot of different ways. One thing I learned from Shannon is how to keep a polished demeanor while at the same time getting things done. She stands behind her words, and this woman is about action. I have a lot of respect for Shannon Presty. So thanks, Shannon, for believing in this project, for sharing your thoughts, and for teaching so many teens what it means to not only think about how to help, but also connect the action. So we're here with uh, Shannon Presty with uh, YMCA, correctly, mm-hmm. yes. And we're also going to talk about how you came to Oklahoma City and what brought you here and what you love most about it. <laughs> yeah, so um, I grew up in small town Kansas, and my whole goal my whole life was to get out of small town Kansas, and I did. I moved all over the country. Um, I lived in Costa Rica, then New York, and then San Antonio, and then Seattle um, prior to living here, and never in a million years would I ever have imagined that I'd be in Oklahoma, but um, I met my now husband on a blind date when I lived in San Antonio, and then he got a job offer in Seattle, so we moved there knowing that we'd either be there one year or two years or forever, so it was kind of like we just had to get through that first year to see where we would be, and we knew that if we weren't there, we'd be here in Oklahoma City, so um, we just kind of went through the year, and at the end of the year, we found out that we were going to move um, and he moved the next day and he came here and I came about a month later. And I think that, um, this is truly where we're both meant to be because we arrived and my whole goal, if I could do anything in the whole world, um, starting from college on my goal was to help at risk kids go to college. So I assumed that I had to do something else, like make a lot of money so that I could help people financially and we moved here and so I was volunteering I was looking for volunteer opportunities to try and find um, a job or you know 
just figure out what I wanted to do. And I went to the Y and they had a program that I wanted to volunteer for, um, called Y Achievers and it helps at-risk kids go to college. And I met with the CEO and I said, can I volunteer for this? You know, I, this is something I'm really passionate about. I'll give you as many hours as you want while I'm looking for a job. And he said, you know, we're getting ready to cut the program. We only have 12 kids involved. It's not, it's not going very well. Um, it's, we're costing a lot of money, so I'm going to cut the program. And I thought, oh. So I went home and I wrote this whole proposal about how I could spend six months redesigning, developing, getting volunteers, getting funding to get the program going back again. And before I hit send, he actually called me and said, we just got X amount of dollars from United Way. We'd like to put it towards teen programming. Would you like to come start our first ever teen department? I said, sure. So within three weeks of moving here, my husband and I both had our dream jobs. So that's incredible. That's how we landed. All right. Yeah, that's a very long-winded answer, but... No, no, it's really, it's good to hear. And I know that you, you and I met because of the Humane Society, yeah. Fostering Pets, mm-hmm. the Central Oklahoma Humane Society. So you're involved in a lot of different areas because yeah. you're helping with all different types of events. And one thing I think it's really cool that you do that I've saw was bringing groups together to work collaboratively for mm-hmm. the initiatives that have crossover. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, some of the kind of different community collaborations you've seen. Yeah. So, um, when I lived in Seattle, I worked with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is another passion of mine, helping, um, kids with life-threatening disabilities or, um, illnesses kind of get one cool thing, whether they, are going to make it or not. A lot of kids have a really terrible disease, but it's something that they're going to come out of, but just giving them some joy. So that's something that I'm really passionate about too. Um, so pretty much I spend most of my time through my job working with at-risk kids, or I do a lot with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I do a lot with the Humane Society. Um, my husband has quite a few um, passions and organizations that he works with that are not the three that I'm involved with. So I kind of help out with some of the things that he does, but One of my favorite collaborations is Make-A-Wish and the Humane Society. Um, We love serving as foster parents for the dogs with the Humane Society. So we bring in dogs and we give them homes until they find another home, a permanent home. We call it their forever home, (laughs) F-U-R-E-V-E-R. And my husband calls it hosting dogs rather than fostering. He says, who are we going to host this week? So we hosted one dog and he was just the sweetest guy. And I was able to collaborate with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And he was um, auctioned off at the big gala that we had, the big luncheon for the fundraiser. And he was able to raise $2,000. Somebody paid $2,000 for him. And that was able to help um, fund almost a full wish for a child that had a life-threatening illness. So that was pretty cool. And um, I think something that's unique about Oklahoma City is that everybody's just really eager to help. And so if there are ways to collaborate, I think people are always eager to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see anything different from Seattle to Oklahoma City? Because Seattle is larger and you mm-hmm. think that there's probably a lot of cool community movements going on. What do you feel as far as Oklahoma City goes compared to there? I feel like in larger cities, there are so many more people and uh, which is obvious, but there, because there's so many more people, there's also so many additional organizations. So I meet young people all the time who want to start their own nonprofit, or they ask me all the time, why are you working for the why? Why don't you start your own nonprofit? And to me, I feel like there are entirely too many nonprofits. I feel like if you kind of put them all in 
a bucket and you made them like kind of go in like areas, I almost feel like we could collaborate more and have more resources. So instead of me doing this program and somebody else doing like an ACT workshop and somebody else doing a FAFSA program and, you know, like we should all get together and use the resources that United Way and different organizations and different companies are willing to give. And if everybody can spend their money or if everybody can give their money to one area rather than all of these different areas, I feel like that are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like we could probably get more done, Mm -hmm. but in the bigger cities, I feel like there are even more nonprofits, but there's also a lot more people who have additional money to give. So I think that that's kind of the the difference that I saw. Um, and just kind of like politically and what people are interested in, you know, it's much more liberal um, in the Pacific Northwest than it is here. Um, so there were a lot of different type of organizations that people were focused on. And I mean, there's a lot about homelessness and, um, even just like outdoor adventure and, um, you know, different things. I'm, I'm not up to speed on all of their different organizations, but I think that just based on the region that you're in and what the interests are and what the people are like, and, you know, kind of the, um, focus is different because people have different interests in those areas. Mm-hmm. And do you think that when you're talking about if we kind of took it back to where there's a lot of different nonprofits that are duplicating services and if there was maybe one bucket for each sector, if you would, and then those could free up more people resources to work together collaboratively to, to work through some of these problems. Do you think there's other people that are thinking that way too? Like with some of this crowdfunding stuff that's going on online. I mean, it seems like so many people are wanting to give and get involved. There's, you know, tons of applications coming in for volunteer Mm -hmm. everywhere, but Mm -hmm. there's not always enough work for them to do at some of the places they apply to volunteer at. Yeah. In my experience, I have not met a lot of people who have the same thinking as I do. (laughs) Um, I feel like most people, when they're passionate about something, they want to start their own thing Mm. and they want it to be theirs. And I love working for the Y for many reasons, but I get to focus on my passion of helping these at-risk kids and getting them ready for college and getting them into college. I don't have to worry about the finances. I mean, I have to do a lot of the fundraising and things like that, but we have, like, I have a CEO, a COO, an accounting department, a fundraising department, a marketing department. Um, I have all these different resources at my fingertips. So whereas if I want to go out and do my own fundraising, I can, but I have somebody who can help find grants or help me write the grants or, you know, there's, I just feel like I have a lot of resources and I can focus more on what I want to do rather than a lot of the additional stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's my personality. I mean, some people want to do it all, but I feel like if you don't have to worry about funding your own salary, working for yourself, you can focus on doing more in the community because like the why pays my salary and granted I have to fundraise to pay all of it, but I don't have to pay for you know, an accountant and a CEO and a marketing department and all of the extra stuff and the copy machine. I mean, just little things like that, that cost Mm -hmm. so much money. They're there because we're all able to work together. Yeah. Yeah. Just finding those movements that are already existing. Yeah. So I don't know. When I started all of the work that I do, I did a, I had six months and I Um. And there's there's actually tons of examples of that that's that's happening elsewhere. Um, So I mean, it's you know, it's not it's not this weird, crazy idea that it was five years ago. Um, Or you don't get the same strange like looks from the coat and tie crowd. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, because they're they're thinking the same thing. I had a I had a friend that that worked in the oil and gas industry. Um, I've known her forever, um, and she was like uh, one of the executive assistants uh, for this multi billionaire in Houston, um, and she was basically his whim. Um, you know, if he had a whim to do this, she had to go make it happen. Um, and she was miserable. She was making huge money. And I'm like, why are you, you know, there's no, there's really no need for that to put up with that now. Um, the way everything is, you know, find what it is that you, that, that really gets your, your blood going, that really gets you fired up and whatever it is. And there's a way now, now to, to make a living at it. You may not be making six figures, you know, to begin with, or you may not have a company car or you may not, you know, but there's no reason to think that if, if you put all of it into it, that that could happen one day and it's yours. I mean, no one can take it away from you. That was, that was another like huge thing that like, that I learned out of all this, you know, it's, it's like you, (laughs) if you put all your blood, sweat and tears in something, you better make sure that you own it. Um, that it's yours, that no one, and, and one of the things that was so frustrating was, um, you know, the spot at this point will never go away. As far as I'm concerned, it'll be over my dead coal body. Um, but no, and there's no one, no one on this planet that can, that can make that happen other than me. And that's a, that's a, that's an amazing place to be. Um, and, uh, but, but with that said, I think that could be done anywhere and everywhere. It just happens that, 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 that my passion and my, uh, you know, went for, you know, music and, and radio. I mean, it doesn't mean that, that whatever it is you do, um, uh, you know, can, you know, that you, that you can't replicate that same thing. There's avenues and, I mean, the technology and the things that are out there and the people that you can reach organically and you build it up from there and the sky's the limit, you know, working at, at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning isn't work. (laughs) No, it's, it's for me right now, it's an experiment and I found like a whole new drive that I didn't even really know was there. I mean, I've been pouring it into the traditional, I was working in nonprofit, so it was still different than working in corporate, but you know, it's a lot of hours, it's a lot of, lot of there's still a lot of rules, still a lot of red tape. Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of policies, lots of things that, you know, you have to follow this exact model, whereas sometimes when you take a step back and you look at it, you think, is that really making the impact <laughs> that we could be making if we were a little more flexible and a little more give and take, like what you're talking about, mm-hmm. and trusting of people. I'm a big fan of trust, you know, how can we live with more love and empathy for people instead of, oh, they're going to be out to get us. You know, we got to put all these blocks in place because they're going to have to barrel through all of them before they can hurt us. There's more vulnerable. There's, there's, there's so much of that. And I think it was, I I don't, I don't know how exactly it was, it was taught to us, um, or part of that, that, that mode of, of growing up. Um, but it's there. Um, I don't know, maybe it's the the high school model you know, model that, that, uh, I still think that we live with, with, with the hidden high school rules, even in adult life. Um, 
you know, people are worried about this or worried about that, you know, in here, maybe it's not so much on the outside, but, um, so maybe that's, that's a little bit of it too, the, the non-trust thing, but I think that's even getting better. Um, you just have to be really wary of, of, <laughs> of where you go and put it out there. Um, you find a home like Oklahoma City where you can really plant roots in your community and get involved. I think that's where you start to, to blossom when it comes to the trusting of others. I think that's why I feel so comfortable to go on this adventure is I've been in Oklahoma City for 10 years, highly ingrained in the community. I met Jill Brown, or not Lozier, who's the downtown of KC marketing director. Back when she was the marketing director at the Gazette, I started working for her when I was like 17. So I was there for the Halloween parade and docks and dashes and everything knows and just <laughs> to see so much cool stuff that is like literally came from an idea in a meeting room into reality because everybody's willing to like jump on board with it and then met so many cool people through that that have been very supportive. It seems like all the, it seems like all those people too, um, you know, wh- whether, whether it's, it's the Jill Browns, um, they're all still around. Um, the Jill Browns, the Jonathan Fowlers, the, the Jonathan Strangers, the, you know, they're all still around and they're all kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. Like Tracy Z for Bumbershoot. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a thousand, uh, examples. Um, and it's kind of that, that same thing where, um, I, I don't think that mentality of, God, I've got to get out of Oklahoma as soon as I, as soon as I can. I mean, I think there's still... A little bit of that for the for the the under thirties. I mean, that, that's I think that's just ingrained in all of us. I Man, I grew up in Dallas. And I couldn't wait to get out of Dallas. Um, so I, I don't think that I don't think that that's a, a geographic or a city thing. I think that's just kind of a. And I think you should walk about in your twenties and and do those things. But um, but I, I you know you no longer have to go to the West Coast or East Coast to make it. Um, you no longer have to, you know. There's not these these formed set set of rules that that you have to com- you you have to com- complete all these to get to the prize at the end. There's different routes um, to get there. I've, I've often said, or my dad this used to really piss my dad off. Um, but it's I, I've kind of made it a little bit of my mantra in, in that. And, and that it really is how I am. He's like, if there's a group of people walking down a road and nine out of 10, you know, every ninth, you know, every, not every 10 people, nine of them go right. You're the motherfucker that's going to go left. Uh, and and it, it doesn't mean that we're going in different directions. We're still, get, we're still trying to get to that same goal. It just, and it is, it's my, it's, it's my, um, first instinct is to, is to go the opposite direction of the crowd. Um, and I, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know how that, how a part of that is, but the Tracy Zeke's of the world, the Jonathan Fowler's, the, all those people that we, you know, the Jill Brown, I mean, they, they all, I think that's, that's that same kind of. Thing. It's not that we're it's not that we're trying to get to a different destination. We just want to get there in a in what we or make our own way there and not go this way. Um, it's the exercise of creative abilities in a lot of ways.
I'm experiencing is it's like, okay, so I don't necessarily have to be. So I don't know. I, when I started all of the work that I do, I did a, I had six months and I researched and I figured out what everybody else was doing in this kind of area. And I figured out like where the gaps were. And so I created programming in those gaps so that I wasn't duplicating because I really believe that if that's already happening, I don't need to create the same program. I can call that organization and get their details, and then I can send my kids to their ACT prep workshop because why would I create one if they already have it and they can serve my kids, and then I can spend those resources doing other things. Mm -hmm. And in the conversations you've had with people that want to start their own nonprofit, what is usually the reasoning behind that? I mean, what's the driving force do you think behind that thinking? Well... I just, I really think that it just goes down to the passion and they want it to be their thing. And I don't think it's necessarily selfish. It's just that they assume that nobody else is doing it. I don't think that they take the time to see what else is going on. And I think that like when the Y hired me, they gave me six months to design and research and develop. Whereas if I was starting it on my own, I would try to have to, I would have to try and figure out a way to make money immediately. And so I think that people just start the organization and then they figure out what they're going to do because that way they're having an income. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of what I've seen with a lot of young people. It's like they feel like they really need to get things going so that they can start making money because if you spend six months figuring out what everybody else is doing, you're having no income. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of seen that. And I'm kind of talking more about younger people, you know, that have a lot of great ideas and they're just like really gung-ho and they want to get started and they assume that something's not going on. But just because what they want to do might not exist, it doesn't mean that, that you couldn't work for... Like, if, if I have a passion for animals, I don't need to start my own rescue organization. I could go and figure out a way to work for the Humane Society. Or maybe they don't have a spot for me, but maybe I could do contract work for them. Or maybe I could work for another organization and make money, but then volunteer heavily for the Humane Society so that when they have an opening, I'm going to be the first person they call. Mm-hmm. So I think just looking at things a little bit differently like that, that's, I just, I think that there are too many people trying to do the same thing and taking money. Like if, if United Way is willing to give the Humane Society a hundred thousand dollars and they have just a hundred thousand, well, let's say they have a hundred thousand dollars total to give for animal welfare And the Humane Society could take $100,000 and use it so well, but then I have my own um, small nonprofit that helps with animal welfare, and I go and apply for $20,000. Well, $20,000 isn't going to do a lot for me because I have to figure out how to live on that in addition to helping the animals, but now the Humane Society can only get 80. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I were able to work for the Humane Society, they could get 100 and like it all just goes together salary wise. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I think sometimes it's, it's hard for people that are in the generation that I'm in to see what has been going on, not truly making an impact when it comes to the statistics. Yeah. That's something I personally have experienced, you know, year after year, the same information is being shared the same. And it's sometimes rising more and more people are needing to be served. That's a campaign message that you see everywhere this year. And we need your help more than ever. Why is right. it that you need our help more than ever when last year you needed it more than ever? Than ever. So, and I yeah. gave it to you, so why is it not working? Yeah. And so I I think that I think that I'm I'm probably a little bit jaded isn't the right word because I'd like to use a more positive word to describe it, but I'm probably a little bit more um maybe in a in a benefited state because I was able to come into the Y and they let me 
have a lot of freedom. So whereas a lot of people in the current generation would go and work for an organization, they might feel trapped or pigeonholed, or they wouldn't have a lot of freedom to do a lot of their ideas that they're passionate about. But I also think that sometimes you have to just think outside the box. And when you go home at night, write a proposal for what you want to do. If you don't get to do it during the day when they're paying you, go home and spend additional time at night and figure out how to show your boss or your CEO or your director or whatever, like, here are some ways that we could do this. And so what I do is if I want to do something at work and we don't have the money, I go out and I find the money and mm-hmm. I do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that like, they can't say no to me cause I'm like, I have the money and they're like, Oh, okay. That's great. Yeah. But they're just really supportive. I have a, I have a really, really great, great organization. Yeah. You have a lot of creative freedom. It sounds mm-hmm. like to exercise these ideas in your head that, for a lot of people, they feel like, okay, well, I'm going to have to start my own in order to do that. And yeah. one of the things I'm hoping to learn through this journey is finding communities that are building those types of people up and kind of rallying around them, being like, okay, you don't have to do this alone. It's a we thing, you know, mm-hmm. and on a larger scale, we can all work together. It doesn't have to be a bunch of people starting their own nonprofits to add to the extra nonprofits that are already there. It's mm-hmm. like you're saying, if you don't have the time where you can do it at home at night, maybe just start the process by throwing out some ideas for friends. And when you work for organizations that have already been doing this for years and years, or even if it's a startup organization that's well-funded, has a great board and all that, you can learn so much from the inside and you can see where you might think there's some gaps and talk to your friends about that and talk to your family members and just poll people and be like, okay, well, if there was a way to do this, what do you think? And Mm -hmm. getting other opinions and maybe going back and presenting later on in life, but at least you all have seen from yeah. the inside instead of kind of, I don't want to use the word judging, but not getting a clear picture of what it is that they do. You just kind of see, oh, it's not getting enough done. So there yeah. must be something missing. Well, what is missing unless you're actually in there doing the work to see. And it's funny you say that because that's what the other advice I give to young people coming out of, I mean, I, I probably at least monthly talk to one to five young people who are interested in doing something similar to what I'm doing. And my biggest advice is before, cause they all are like, I'm going to start my own thing. I'm going to do this. You know, they all want to start their own thing. And I always tell them before you start your own thing, work for somebody who does something just in the category that you're interested in work for the boys and girls club, work for big brothers, big sisters, work for the Y work for somebody that helps in the area that you're interested in so that you can learn the ins and outs. And then you can figure out what's working and what's not. And then what's working, leave to the boys and girls club to do. And then if you really feel compelled to start your own thing, take the what's not working and figure out how to change that and make it work within your own organization or figure out how to go to another organization and take that what's not working and fill those gaps. And so that's what I tell everybody. I, I think that coming out of college and starting your own nonprofit, whereas they can do so well, I think that understanding the ins and outs, there's so many intricacies of working in nonprofit work that people just don't know. And even just like the tax system and the way that you have to fundraise and when you can fundraise and how much you can take in. And are there certain guidelines? Like, you don't know that stuff until you've really worked with somebody. And unless you, unless the young person has a really great advisor, I think that working for an organization and making money and knowing that you have a monthly income while you're figuring out your plan can be a really big beneficial thing. Yeah. 
And then also understanding that even if you want to start your own, it's not yours. It's right going to have a board of directors. Exactly. You're not going to just be able to do anything that you want in the entire world and make a, an impact that way. You're going to have to have a, a board anyways around you, and they're all yeah. going to have to be bought into the and organization. And even just understanding boards. Like, yeah, yeah. How do you know about boards unless you've really been around one? So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's a whole other thing. But thank you so much for, for sharing. So yeah. as far as Oklahoma goes, it sounds like you like it. When I first decided, well, it wasn't really a decision, when I first felt called to do this podcast, I thought, okay, this is going to be really cool. I'm going to be learning from so many people, and I'll do these interviews about how we can have a more environmentally friendly world, and how we can live together in harmony with the animal population, with our neighbors, how we can work together for the greater good. Since then, it's been evolving at a pretty fast pace. And now I realize it's more about my journey and keeping track of all these threads of information that I'm finding, internally and externally. Whenever this is over and I do go back to a career-type lifestyle, I'd like to be able to go back and listen to these threads, pulling from them the knowledge that I've gathered along the way. Everything happens when it's time for it to happen. I learned this from Dr. Ranko Pinter in Cambridge. He gave me some book suggestions and was the first person to tell me, I'm going to give these to you, but it's not because I expect that you're going to read them right now. It's so that you'll have the information in your inbox and when the time is right, you can go back to it and it'll make more sense. And then you'll have the opportunity to read these books and connect some more dots. He's also sending me some transcripts of some talks that he's given at the University of Philosophy at Cambridge. That really resonated for me. So, that being said, I wanted to start off the first episode with a little bit of information about who I am. I thought, okay, I'm going to give my childhood story. Now I'm thinking, is it really that relevant, the past? Does the past truly matter? I'm not certain that it does. There's some thoughts on, does the past help us to understand the present? Perhaps. It's definitely something I'm trying to figure out. exactly the same. So it didn't matter if we rewound it back an hour, if we rewound it back to the beginning of time, everything would happen the same. Indeterminism is everything's by chance. Everything is flip a coin, you know, basically everything that happens if you, is if you flip a coin. So by those two things, there's really no, but once you, once you work through those two things, you realize that there is no free will and, but you feel that there's, I mean, but people still feel like they have free will. And that's kind of what's funny with religion. If you think about it, with religion too, God's like, here, I give you free will to follow me or not. But if you want to come into heaven and, and do all this, you have to do everything I say. Is that free will? No, at the same time, though, they're 
concepts in most religions is that you are surrendering your own free will for the greater will. Not my will, but thine. So in religion... So it's your free will to give up your free will. Yeah, you're surrendering. You're surrendering to what is the more divine purpose in life and trusting and having faith that it's going to take care of you. Yeah. But anyways, back to the other thing. Yeah. It's just, you go through that and you're kind of like, maybe there isn't. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's where it goes back to maybe it's a surrendering thing. Maybe it's not just in a religious context. Perhaps in some situations it's better for us to surrender our free will for the greater movement, the betterment of the masses. No, but what I'm saying is at, if, like, if you break it down to that, there is no free will. Like, if you work it through. I still think that... I, I don't have all the... Like I said, I don't have all the information on it, but it works out like that. There are still ways you can exercise free will. I mean, you can choose to binge watch an entire season of Netflix. Whatever but what, you want what, to watch. But what, but what brought you to that point of deciding binge watching? Was it how you raised? Was it experiences in your life? You know, was it... Your genetic, you know, your genetics, or was it because your family liked watching Netflix? You grew up watching TV. I mean, it's all that. Not necessarily. It could be that you decided that I don't want to do anything productive today, so I'm going to get a pint of ice cream and sit down and binge watch this entire season because I can, not because of the way that I was raised or the way that I deal with stress or anything like that. Because I can. You don't think that that exists? I that's think a that big question. I, that's I, what's I, never been answered. That's one of those big questions that's never been answered. If there's free will. Yeah. What does it matter? What? Does it matter? Yeah. What's the point? What do you mean, what does it matter? I mean, because if it's indeterminism, if it's just a flip of random... If everything's random, it just flips a coin, then you just never... If the decision you just made was based on just randomness... You didn't really make that. It was random. What if it's not random and that's why there's no free will? Because it's not random. That's what determinism. It's like, it's not random. It's due to the laws of nature and just, I can't, I need to look it up. But um, what else they're talking about is brought you to that point. Everything, it's kind of like the butterfly effect. It's like everything that happened through your life brought you to that decision. And it's, if everything, it's kind of like saying, well, I made this decision, I made this bad decision back back at this point, right? And now that I know that it was a bad decision, if I went back to that point, I wouldn't do it again. But, if you went back to that point and you didn't know it was a bad decision, you'd still make that same decision because you still only know what you knew up to that decision. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, everything is leading you to the next decision. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I don't think that most people would change the way that they handle the situation because it's what brought them to the situation that they're at at the current point. It's the being present, the not looking back, you know, even in the Bible. Don't look in the, in the past. Turn it a pillar of salt. I'm not talking about looking in the past. I'm just saying that for making that decision, though, they would still make the same decision based on what they knew and, not, and what... And, you get what I'm saying there? Following their dharma, I've heard that said. Or just, times. just that's just what they know. That you, that's the you, the information you already know, and just how you feel about it. Right at that point, you'll make that decision because you don't know anything else. That you don't know it's a bad decision. Like you're not going to change your mind. There's nothing here that's going to change your mind from back here to make you go, oh, well, I should do this instead. 
Like, we kept rewinding it back. You'd still keep making the same decision because that's all you, you know, because you you made that decision. Does that, does that make sense? I'm probably it, not explaining No, this it right. totally makes sense. I'm trying to wrap my brain around, does it matter? So is that free will? If you've already, if you're already just going to make that decision, like, you wouldn't make the other decision. You wouldn't make the other choice because you know you're going to, you made that choice because of all the other, uh, everything you knew leading up to that. Yeah. All you can do is try to figure out why was that choice presented to you in the first place? What was the reason why that was brought into your life? Where's the lesson to be learned? What are you knowing now? That because you everything else before? that was happening around you. So do you think that everyone is set up in a structure of like a, a cosmic mission? Where we mission have for what? To no. live? To live our life? It's just there. It's just there? Yeah. Just going. I read a quote by David Weinsman that says the models I create are keys meant to light the road for the truth seeker and to open the door to enlightenment. The symbols embodied in our jewels reveal the truth about our identity and the true nature of reality. Behind these sacred symbols is the knowledge that enables us to take complete control over our lives, taking us out of chaos, fear, and hatred, which affects so many of us. So that quote makes me think, okay, I do need to backtrack a little bit to understand the model, the template that I'm coming from. So as I work through this evolution process, I can recognize perhaps where some of the trigger points that I have stem from and where some of my vices that I am covering those trigger points up with can be transformed. far as Oklahoma City goes, it sounds like you like that it's a little bit smaller because you can actually get to know people on a deeper level, I guess, yeah. of what they're doing. And I think that's something that I also experienced here is there's just a tight knit group of people that are all like, let us just work together. We're figuring out as we go along how to make things better. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I think is really interesting in comparing from a bigger city to Oklahoma City is there are, I don't know the exact number, but I'm just going to No, I won't even throw out a number. There is a very, very small number of people that do the majority of things. So I would say like, like 1% of the population here funds like 99% of what goes on. And so that is both a blessing and a curse because these people are just so passionate about making sure that their community is going so well and that they want to support so many things, but they they have to spend so much money. And if something goes wrong in their industry, like the oil and gas industry, if you know, if you have 10 major funders in your community that give everything and eight of them are oil and gas, when oil and gas goes down, it really, you see it suffering. You see the nonprofit suffering so much from it. Whereas in a larger city, there are so many more people giving um, at that high level and the industries are a little bit more varied. And so you don't quite see the hit maybe as much, but, um, on the flip side of that, I just think it's so incredible that this very small group of, um, very generous people are willing to give so much to make their community so good. And I think that's really, really special. Mm -hmm. If you just look at like 
anything that's funded, it's like these same 10 to 15 people are giving everything. And I just, I have so much respect for their willingness to contribute like that. Yeah. Definitely a huge problem solving piece of the puzzle is having people like that, that want to have the, okay, we're going to all the different sectors, not necessarily just pick mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Everybody matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, one word or phrase you'd use to describe the community that you have here. That is hard. Um, I'd say kind of going off of what I just said, maybe um, committed. I think that if if there's something that needs to happen, the people are committed. So they're going to commit to helping. Like if they have five charities that they normally deal with, but then we have um, a tornado come through more and money needs to be given and they've already given all their resources, like they're going to be committed to helping that, even though that might not be on their radar. And if... If somebody does choose to help, they're going to be fully committed and they're going to give everything that they have, whether it's resources or time or energy or connections or whatever. I just feel like people here are very committed. Once they start something, they're going to see it through and they're committed to just making the city better and um, a better atmosphere in general. So here we go. My name is Amy Schrotz. I was born on June 30th, 1990 in Denver, Colorado. I moved about 25 times before the age of 16, um, which I, as an adult, have really grown to appreciate. I think it's given me the ability to make friends wherever I go, never be afraid in new situations, know that no matter where I am, I'm always going to find the community that's for me. A lot of people automatically assume, oh, you must be a military kid. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. I am a military kid. However, I haven't seen my father since I was seven. He wasn't a very nice person when I was younger. I don't know how he is now. And that's something that, as an adult, I'm working on finding the true forgiveness Not the forgiveness of, oh, well, I'm going to rise above him. Instead, the forgiveness of understanding that the situations that I was exposed to as a child and I went through as a child made me who I am today. And yes, there are pieces of it that I need to transform. There are also pieces of it that gave me the resiliency that I live with every day and also made me able to live this story. So enough about that. When I was a kid, I was always fascinated by everything in nature and every animal possible. I was looking at plants constantly, trying all of the berries and bark and anything else I could get my hands on. I was looking at rocks all the time, picking up rocks. I still have a rock collection from my childhood. I remember one time when we were living in Estes Park, Colorado, I was outside in the backyard where the elk were, and I was trying to go up to a little baby elk, always the fearless one, thinking the animals all want to be friends with me. Now, the mama elk, I suppose from my memory, was not a big fan of this, and apparently she started to charge me. 
And my mom came out with a broom and did her mama thing and was able to retrieve me away from the elk. And I was told never to go up to another baby elk like that. I'll say that that lesson didn't really stick because as a young teen, when I was working cows on a ranch in Texas, I still tried to go up to the baby calves. I was charged a couple of times. I was always able to get to a fence and hop on the top of it, and I've never been injured by an animal bad enough to make me afraid of them. Horses, eh, there's been a couple of times I've been thrown off horses. Same ranch in Texas, I was riding a horse named Hero, and he threw me off in a field once and stepped on my calf. Now, I used to ride him fearlessly all through this field. Anywhere I could go, I was going with this horse. He was a beautiful Appaloosa. Went for a while without riding and then picked it back up again once I was in Oklahoma. Every once in a while, I have a flashback to that moment, but it really has not changed the way that I look at horses. So I'm fortunate. I try not to hold grudges. Again, the word try, though, might imply that I do. We'll have to see. Anyway, I graduated from high school in Texas at age 15. Some may ask, how is that possible? Were you fast-tracking all the way through? Yes, I was. And the reason I was able to do this is because I was homeschooled all the way through high school and did year-round school. Growing up, my mom told us that she felt like God told her to do this. As a young adult, I came to the conclusion that she was trying to keep us safe from our biological father. That conclusion that I came to is a piece of the storyline that I am working to transform and a big part of the reason why I'm throwing myself into this world of uncertainty. I would like to transform the fear that I have of men That's something I'm gonna delve deeper in later on. And I will say that as of today, I am in a much different place with it than I was even a year ago. I've seen the good in so many men and I truly believe that men and women need each other to learn from each other. We both contain strengths and we both contain weaknesses. And together we do complement each other Do I feel like that means that I have to be in a romantic relationship with a man? No. But I do need to be friends with them. And every time I put my faith in trusting that a man is good as of late, it's like sunshine comes sparkling through. It's a really unique experience. More of that later on. better be better or, or make yourself better which makes everything else better because you you want to not because you have to be better be better because you want to not because you have to it's i mean it, it seems like that's that's been kind of the theme it's like why settle for this when we could just do 
this one extra thing and oh my god it's so much better <laughs> it seems like that's that seems to be this podcast will be a one-hour podcast sharing perspectives from the people i encounter all over this beautiful planet along with my own personal realizations as i go through a journey of discovering my way back to who i really am the result a tapestry woven from unified threads my goal is to not only share perspectives from all different beings, but to also logically prove that through empathy, we can grow love. The messaging will be, of course, threads that will lead me back to my true self, things that I find of interest, that resonate with me, that bring up some sort of remembering, if you will. I'll be encouraging a spirit of finding the strengths that every person contains, and seeking out the common ground between science, philosophy, and religion. I hope to plant seeds that encourage truth and empathy, organic agriculture, and the importance of community as I learn what community means to so many different beings all over this beautiful planet that we call Earth. Thanks for listening. Namaste. I'd like to give a special thank you shout out to Shabby Chic Heartbeat Garage and Shai Hollowell for the tunes given to today's episode. I'd also like to thank Corey Coates from Podfly Productions for producing this podcast and making it possible to put together all of the different random thoughts that I come across into something that actually makes sense and is beautiful in many ways. So thanks, Corey. You rock. <laughs> <laughs>